Hey, this is Matthew's Table podcast channel. We wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and reminds you of who you are, but more importantly, whose you are. Okay. I'm not sure about you guys, but for me up to this point, there's a strong feel of Paul repeating his main point over and over in many different ways, in chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4, which should communicate to us that what he has to say is really important. Would you agree? Amen? Look, first service was dead, so now's the time to wake up and get ready, okay? Repeating, and apparently repeating oneself, seems to be the means we use to express importance or our frustration. For example, oftentimes if somebody says something, we don't like that, we'll ask the question, what'd you say? As if repeating it is going to change the tone or the intention, right? And when I was young, the classic thing that my mom would always do to me was that I would say something and she'd repeat it back to me with this tone adding you at the end of it. So, if, for example, if I'd say, Hey, Mom, uh, make sure you get my jeans washed. She'd be like, I'll wash your jeans. You... And I never understood it, but that's... So it wouldn't matter what I'd say. Hey, Mom, make sure uh, supper's ready. I'll make sure supper's ready for you. And I was like, okay, uh, whatever, right? But she would be frustrated, and that's when I would begin to know that. And after a few failed attempts to get my attention, I remember... Uh, I knew my mom meant business when she would say my first and middle name. Roger Allen. And it always followed with, uh, if I have to tell you one more time, that was my attention getter because I knew that she wasn't playing when I would hear the middle name. And it's the same thing Paul's doing with the Galatians to address their stubbornness of going back to what Christ had already set them free from, observing the law, the commandments. Y'all know, know that feeling. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, and, and, and oftentimes when we're frustrated with others, we, we might say things to them like, it's like talking to a brick wall, Roger. Or, or even better, you can tell them till you're blue in the face. I've also heard, you know, good luck with fill in the blank because they're not hearing anything. I've told them countless times, right? And unfortunately, it's the same way with God's people having to be reminded of who their daddy is and what their daddy has done for them. Essentially, our job every Sunday morning is asking you guys to remain faithful to the God that we serve over and over and over. And this morning's passage is the spiritual equivalence due to multiple attempts of communicating the same thing through chapter 1, 2, and 3 in Galatian to my mom's middle name usage. And thankfully, due to Paul's persistence fueled by his passion to keep the main thing the main thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ, saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, justified by faith alone, right? So if I can have your attention for these next few minutes, 
you'll hear what Paul has to say, because although it seems very similar to what has already been said, we see God the Father in a bigger, better way. I'll give you a visual, because I am a visual learner, and it helps me track with a message if I can kind of see something. It'd be really similar to the videos that you see on social media, where apparently, uh, you know, you can assume, right, but apparently... Um, the father to a particular child has been off on some military duty. And we know that because as you watch the video, the child is uh, just doing what they would normally be doing during that day or in that particular circumstance. And you see the father kind of come into the picture and then they're, they're in their military outfit or whatever it may be. And all of a sudden the child turns around and sees that it's their dad and they just are crushed, and they run to the Father's open arms. And so this passage this morning is essentially trying to do the same thing. And in hopes and in prayer, uh, in my quiet time this week, this is what I have been hoping would happen for each of you this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 4. If you don't, you can just read along with me on the screen as I read the Word of God to you. Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Paul says, Now I say that as long as the heir is a child, so he's continuing his thought from last week at the end of chapter 3 where Paul said that if you were in Christ, you were an heir to the promise of Abraham. Right, So I say that as long as the heir is a child, he differs in no way from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Instead, he's under guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elements of the world. And when the time come to completion... God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then God has made you an heir. Amen? Amen. The churches in Galatia who deviated from the one true gospel is being reminded again of the history of salvation quickly. Verses 1 through 4, God gave the promise and then the law and fulfilled both of them in His Son and now everyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. If you remember from last week, we began to learn about our identity in Christ. And because of our identity as a son, we can be sure to inherit all the promises of God. Paul says those same things again in our text this morning, but just in a different way. And I'm assuming it's because he believes he might finally have their attention. Fourth chapter, right? Because he provides them with a new illustration revealing the heart 
of God towards His children. What seems to be redundant, a retelling of the same truth, is actually a revelation of God as our Father in a more intimate, compassionate, and unconditional way. Because at the heart of the Gospel message is the heart of the Father that He sums up in verse 5 alone. To redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. As a man called by God to pastor or shepherd the people of God, specifically at Matthew's table, It's this truth that gives me so much joy to do the job that I do week in and week out. And here's why. In most cases, not all, I'm not naive to think so, some of you were uh, without a doubt more privileged, okay? And that's fine. But many of us equate our relationship with our heavenly Father to the relationship of our earthly Father creating somewhat of a barrier to receive what God has done for us, to receive who God truly is to us. Where our biological father, being human, has disappointed us, has failed us, or even worse, abandoned abandoned us, causing us emotional, mental, and social issues that affect us relationally with others, but even more importantly, with our Creator, right? Being introduced to understanding God to be our Father invites Him in, in a more personal way, but oftentimes comes with an attachment, some identity issues that cause us to struggle, that oftentimes we might not even fully realize. Things like uh, a fear of rejection, um, desperately desiring the approval or acceptance of others that will always muddy the waters of the truth that we find in verse 5 today that I read to you. God adopts us into his family so that the work God has done for us with and through Christ gives us a better way to view God. A better way to know God. No matter how we feel about God, because truth trumps feelings. So we can know God for who He really is. Many people that I've ministered to over the years or uh, counseled with has held a view of God being angry at them or maybe even disappointed with them for not being everything they felt like God might want them to be. Or even worse, the individual is angry at God for the hand they feel like life has dealt them, right? And maybe you feel that way now or maybe you felt that way before and I'm hoping that this truth can help you overcome that. Paul using the illustration of adoption here is so that we know God in a more intimate and in a bigger, better way. Amen? J.I. Packer put it this way in his book, Knowing God. 
You sum up the whole New Testament teaching in a single phrase. If you speak of it as the revelation of the fatherhood of the Holy Creator. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish, is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. Do you think of Him that way? Do you call Him by that name? God adopting those who have trusted in Christ should also help us better understand His love for us in a way a family adopts an orphan. I know you guys understand that concept. Uh, many of you may have been a part of that or uh, have known people that, that have been, and, and, and I love that. But just to kind of uh, purposely use that illustration Paul's using to communicate to you guys in hopes of piercing your hearts so that you receive the Lord as Father. I want to just kind of walk through this real quick. They, the family who adopts the orphan, they sacrificially and unconditionally choose to make room in the family. Right? The orphan isn't getting dumped on them as they scramble around with ill feelings towards the child so that they can find it in their heart to care for the child. That's not what happens. Rather, they strategically plan out accepting a child or multiple children who's been abandoned. And that tells me that the thing that's motivating them is not an obligation or a duty, but love itself. God doesn't adopt us out of pity as if He feels sorry for our circumstances, nor is He a God who's committed to taking in all the kids that no one else wanted. That's not who God is, and that's not how He works. He planned it from the beginning of time, meaning we are not plan B. We're exactly who He wanted before we were ever created. Now, I don't know about you, but when you consider that as being truth, that hits different. Amen? That's how God thinks of you. That's how God desires you. Well, give me some scripture to back it up. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. For He chose in us Him before the foundation of the world. When? Before each of you that's sitting in here this morning was ever born, you were on God's mind. He was thinking about the time that you'd be here. This morning was ordained by a sovereign God in heaven who meant for every one of you to be here right now. He's not scrambling around, rolling dice, hoping every, other, every one of us does what would be the best thing to do. That's not what takes place, right? He's a sovereign. He's holy. He's just. Before the foundation of the world, to be holy 
and blameless in love before him. He predestined, that means he predetermined us to be adopted as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ for himself. And this is probably the best part of this verse. If you didn't listen to anything else and you're checking your fantasy football, I need you to at least listen to this. For Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. It pleases God that you've received Christ and you are now in the family of God. The good pleasure of His will. You make God happy in Christ. Right? So let's consider the, the legal process of adoption just to kind of like be reminded of how God is working in our lives to better know our Father God. Typically, and again, I know that you guys realize most of this, but this, I'm, I'm trying to make a point. So if y'all be kind to follow with me. A child is born into the world where complications create a circumstance that's unfitting for the child. Parents die. Parents recognize that they're not going to be capable of giving the child everything the child may, de may need or even permanently abandon the child for whatever reason at the time those parents um, do that, right? So a family who's not blood-related with a heart for the orphan, the fatherless, those without a home, chooses to legally accept the responsibilities for the child and sacrificially care and love them in spite of who they are or where they came from. What a beautiful act of kindness and generosity. Would you guys agree? To say the least. Like for, for no, no reason other than love, I'm going to consider bringing a stranger into my home and caring for them as if they are my own child, right? And so in the same way, Paul, with all of the unders, so in the first four chapters, it's been under the law, under the curse of sin, and now today it's under the elementary principles of the world. We're reminded that each of us at one time, Keep with, my, keep with my concept here in adoption. Verse 3, when we were children, were in slavery under the elements of the world. What that means is, is that we were all spiritual orphans without a heavenly father. Hungry, crying, and helpless. And in the event, we think too much of ourselves... He uses language in other places throughout the Word of God that puts us in our place. For example, Colossians chapter 2, verse 3. You were dead in your sins. You were dead. You were spiritually dead in your sins. Romans 5, verse 10. We were all enemies of God. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. We were all children of wrath waiting for God's judgment broken, separated from the heavenly family, 
the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And just to be clear, so you guys can fully understand what I mean here, there are only two families to which we can be a part of. Okay? I'm going to read to you in uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It makes more sense of our uh, scripture today. Um, but it is where uh, Adam and Eve, they've sinned, God shows up, and He curses both Adam and Eve and the serpent. And this is what He says. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. There are two offsprings. Seed of the woman and seed of the serpent. Father God and Satan himself. Creator and creation. God and of the world. Two options. Two families that we can be be a part of. And depending on whose voice you hear and obey is the DNA test, the Maury Povich results that determines who your father is. But what I want you to know is that's not bad news necessarily because it, it just serves as an explanation for your circumstances and your behavior. It's the reason for your season. Whether you are a believer or an atheist, those of you who are feeling hopeless, despair, thinking about giving up on something good, frustrated with your circumstances, I need you to listen closely. Y'all don't have a marriage problem. You have a father problem. Y'all don't have an addiction problem. You have a father problem. Y'all don't have relationship issues. You have daddy issues. If you have a worldview instead of a biblical view on life, it's not because life has dealt you a crappy hand or because it is what it is. It's because you're operating and obeying the wrong Father due to not adequately understanding the Heavenly Father who loves you so much He sent His Son to die for you so that we could have a personal relationship with Him by way of adoption. So we looked at the relatable physical process of adoption, the, the legal process of adoption. Uh, and this morning in, in our verses 1 through 7, we have a summary of the biblical adoption process that we were at one time all under guardians, right? Fatherless. We were children under the, element, uh, under the elements of the world. And when the time came to completion, God sent His Son, born of a woman. I'm going to go ahead and say something about this because this is important. And I, don't, I hope it's sitting over anybody's head. But if you've read the Bible at all, you'll notice that all genealogies... There is, uh, there, it, it stresses and emphasizes that he was son of Bob, who was son of Tom, who was son of Josh. In this passage, notice he does not say that there was a father because Jesus didn't have an earthly father. He was born of a woman from the heavenly father, conceived by the Holy Spirit himself. Amen? Amen. 
And because of that, he's born of a woman. He was also born under the law to buy those, to redeem those. Remember we talked about that, the ransom he purchased us? Right? So he paid the adoption fees biblically through the blood of his own son. And by doing so, initiated the legal transfer that needed to take place by his righteousness becoming our own righteousness. And then, keeping with our illustration, changes our name by giving us the Spirit of God himself so that we can obey God, identifying us as being that in that family. Does that make sense? If I adopted somebody and that child becomes Chilton, then they're going to be acting like Chilton. I guarantee it, because I'm going to make sure of it, right? When we receive what God has done for us, Jesus Christ being crucified for our sins, and then His righteousness becoming our own, and then giving me the Spirit, that's like changing my name, so all of a sudden I'm acting like one of God's kids, right? And that's the biblical adoption process. This hits uh, close to home for me mainly because I was abandoned by my father at a very young age, causing me all kinds of identity issues, uncertainties, fears, destructive life decisions, trying to make sense of why I had no father. So when someone would say to me, God loves you and died for you, it didn't register as easily as it may have for others. Because I felt like if my own father couldn't love me, there's no way a God of love could love me, right? However, due to God's grace being impossible to resist, when the appointed time came, God had his way with me. He melted my heart. He took my heart of stone out, and he gave me a heart of flesh with new desires. And as I've grown in my understanding of his love for me, I've been able to see God differently. I've been able to accept him as a loving father, not an angry dad, disappointed in all the things that I've done wrong. And just like my biological father, who now, because of my relationship with God, allows me to see myself rightly as a sinner saved by grace, no better than anyone else, right? I can't say, well, Dad really failed me, so I'm up here and he's down there. No, I know that I'm also a sinner saved by grace, right? And what that does is it allows me to forgive him and over time, it's slowly restoring our relationship. And now that I know my father better, I take pride in his accomplishments. And where I've made the mistake of criticizing all the things my biological father could have done better as my dad, things that he should have done because I deserve that as the child. Uh, today, I, I, I set that aside and I value the fact that he fought in Vietnam to protect the freedoms that I have as a citizen of the United States, like preaching Christ crucified. What better freedom is there? So we may not understand all the whys and why nots regarding our lives. What we can understand is that not only did he adopt us, God the Father, but he gave us his spirit so we could represent him well. 
where we once cursed Him and rebelled against Him, we now gladly and humbly cry out, Abba, Father, because we can trust Him. We can trust He'll come in our times of need, supplying us all we could ever want. I added this in there. I hope this truth forces you to see God in a new way. And it forces you to rely on God in a way that you never have up to this point. Right? That we become so dependent on Him, God be getting earned income credit come tax time. Right? That's a, like, I'm so dependent on God that He's getting tax credit in heaven for me, right? Yeah, I, that's not biblical. I threw that in there. Don't, don't take that anywhere and use that. <laughs> I don't want anybody to get in no trouble. But this week, you know, with this passage, um, I, I've, just, I've been reminded of my condition, one time spiritually an orphan, and my new position, now being a son, a child, an heir of God, over this last week with, with this one wonderful and sobering truth. And it's convicted me, and God's been dealing with my heart with the reality I was once up for adoption, fatherless, with a void of hopelessness and despair. And before he intervened in my life and overwhelmed me with a love I'd always desperately desired but never found, and although I feel like I try to represent him the best I can, this truth has caused me some issues this week because I know that there are so many orphans up for adoption out there today. Statistics, I don't have time to get into it. By the way, we're a week late. Last weekend was Orphan Sunday, but by God's providence, he's, well, here we are. We're dealing with it, right? Like, he ain't going to let it go. Which is another, you know, just a, just a sign, like, Roger, you're really missing this here. You're missing this. Statistics suggest there are over 147 million orphans in the world who have no place to call home. And I'm afraid if I were to be honest with you guys, I've taken the attitude in the past that surely someone else will, will take care of that. Right? Surely, surely uh, you know, other brothers and sisters won't, that, won't let that uh, be the case. They will not drop the ball on this. That number's got to be improved. I know you guys would agree, would agree with me. And then I think about just our church and who we are and, 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 and what we do and, and how we do it really well. We're doing the best we can with what the Lord has given us, right? Like, man, I, I feel like, uh, I feel like we're, we're, we're very missional. We're very uh, sacrificial. Uh, you guys are really generous. And there's truth in that. The people at Matthew's table are amazing. A one-of-a-kind people who love and serve others without fail due to knowing who God is and what He's done for you. But as one of your pastors who will be held accountable to God one day, knowing we were created in His image and commanded to be imitators of God, I have to answer to God for this verse right here, James chapter 1, verse 27. 
pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You know, uh, there was a time where I probably approached that verse for, you know, reading it and thinking to myself, pure and under, you know, good religion, in other words, before God the Father, oh, I, I know what he's about to say, uh, reading your Bible daily, going to church as frequently as you can, you know, given when, when, the, when your employer decides to give you a raise, you know, maybe then you can spare a few because the new Xbox game's coming out and you don't want to miss that chance, but you give every once in a while. You know, you even showed up at St. Benedict's one Sunday and served the homeless, Right? Pure, good religion before God the Father as I went and served a home. No, it's not what it says. It says to look after orphans and widows in their distress. And all I can say to you is I am failing miserably at that. Truth is, we are not that church that can just write a check to cover the cost for a legal adoption. That's okay, right? But what if we got creative and made the decision in 2021 to be responsible for funding one adoption a year right maybe this time next year i would be preaching a different sermon there'd be a child in this sanctuary that could stand up with that parent and proclaim their their appreciation for us and all the things that we did to accomplish that they now have a home, right? It's simply a matter of rethinking what it is that we're doing and being committed to be imitators of God. By the way, we were spiritual orphans and God accepted us and adopted us into His family. Why wouldn't we try to do the same thing? One child currently without a home and a family that could experience the same love we have from God the Father. You want to know how someone can easily come to know God? Remember I talked earlier about how it was just, it wasn't as easy for me because there was a gap there in my life that made it more difficult for me to see how God could love me. And so by seeing God's people demonstrate the same grace and love they received. You guys know my testimony. I've told you there was a gentleman here in town who didn't come from where I came from. And he chose to invest into me, to love on me, to sacrifice for me, to check up for me. To the point I was convinced, facing the reality, the only explanation that he would be the way that he was being in my life for me was that there had to be a real God. And it began that process of tearing down all of the barriers I had put up. But even more importantly, check this out, 1 John 4, 12. No one has ever seen God. Who's seen God? No one. But if we love one another, God remains in us and His love is made complete in us. So in a sense, what John's saying is that when we are Christ-like for others, they see something different in us that they want. Right? Music team can start heading this way <laughs> as we close this morning. So because of the Word of God, we can know the will of God. So if we say, well, 
Right, have you prayed about this? Is this something that the Lord would have us do? Yeah, I've, I didn't need to pray about it. I read the Word of God. Right? It's really not even up for debate. It's not, it's not when do we do it, it's why are we not doing it. So one way we plan to accomplish that next year is by challenging each of you to join us in making one adoption possible. While I realize not everyone can adopt, I'm not pointing fingers, I'm a convicted felon, I'm not allowed to adopt, right? Like, there's legitimate reasons why brothers and sisters can't or don't adopt. But we still have to beg the question, why? Why? Why is there 147 million orphans in the world when there are roughly... 2.4 billion people identifying themselves as Christians. Numbers don't add up. I I understand there's a lot of people that claim to be Christians that aren't Christians. I get that, right? But those numbers still just don't add up. People, think about this, 2.4 billion. People who testify God rescued them and made them new creations who adequately know their Father and His desires for them? 147 million orphans. And, and, you know, let me go ahead and say this too, because I have family that's starting the process of adoption. And we were talking about it the other day, and I was like, man, like, just out of curiosity, because I'm ignorant to it, what's something like that cost? He said, well, from what we understand, what we've been told, it's anywhere from $30,000 to $50,000. I'm not saying all of them's like that. I'm just saying I guess that's, that's not abnormal for an adoption to cost something like that. So that can be discouraging, but it cost God his own life so that we could be family. So we have to do something, amen? What we plan to do, it's not all detailed out. It's just, it, this is the, hey guys, we're, we're missing something here. Sermon. That's, that's what we're doing, right? One, you've missed the fact that you've been adopted as sons and daughters. And God's not angry. It was his his pleasing will to adopt you, right? But two, it's that we're failing to imitate him in a way that he has rescued us from our own sin, right? So what we plan to do is creatively, we got to get creative. Guys, we're probably the poorest church in town. I'm going to keep it real with you. I don't care. I really don't. However, we have probably the biggest hearts in Owensboro because of what he's done for us. So we're going to get creative, right? I want to creatively challenge each of you to simply consider how we can make this happen. You don't, you don't put aside your tithes, oh, well, you know what, next year I'm not even going to tithe at all. I'm just, no, it's not that. And you, don't, you don't still give the turkey day thing. It's 20 bucks, right? Rather, you get creative. You get creative, so small churches do maybe a cookout and sell some chickens or, or Polish sauce. I don't know what you could do, but maybe it's a yard sale, right? How many of y'all have more than one pair of shoes? Rest of y'all line. We got multiple coats. We got an outfit for every day of the month, right? We have an abundance, is my point, and there's a hundred and 47 million kids without homes. Youth could do a car wash, 
or something, right? Kids' table could sell some t-shirts. we got to do whatever it takes to get this done. Asking for one child to have a family is not asking too much. Let's bring home an orphan next year. Amen? And, and, and I get it. So like in, in, uh, you know, in consideration of 147 million, we might think to ourselves, Roger, I know you wouldn't say this, but the thought might cross your mind, right? Like, Roger, what, what's really one person going to make it? How's that going to make a difference? You know what I mean? Like, you know, maybe, maybe if we could do 10 or 20, this might be worthwhile. We might find the energy or the time to do some of this. But you might say, how would just helping one person really make a difference in comparison to the number that you have shared with me? I'll tell you. I know a guy who I love and means more to me than probably my own biological brother did at one time, whether that's right or wrong, I don't know. But at one time in his life, he um, found himself in a season as, as still a child without a home, without no family to care for him. And thankfully, by the grace of God, there was a gentleman locally here in town who strategically and sacrificially considered taking this man into his home, who was a child then, loving him and caring for him. And if you talk to him about it, he'll tell you how the guy just loved him. He just, like, he just loved him, right? The impact is large, to say the least. Like, that was kind, and that was generous, and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm thankful that that gentleman did this for this man, but knowing now the impact that that one man is having in Owensboro, it's exponential. It's astronomical. You guys might know him. He goes by Nick Martin. And so the idea that we might think to ourselves, Roger, what could one really do and make a difference? Look around. Look around. Right? So as I close this morning, all I want to do, I want to invite those of you who are in Christ this morning to be reminded of the relationship that you now have. You were adopted into a family that is not your own, based on nothing you did to deserve it. All right? So that he's not God sitting on a throne constantly in judgment of everything that we do or don't do perfectly, but rather he's a father with the son who was crucified sitting next to him and who's constantly intervening on your behalf and praying for each of you. That should do something to us, guys. That should change the way we perceive our Father in heaven, right? And for others who've yet to receive that free gift of eternal life, like you're still, you're just, you're just wrestling with it. Like it's, it's just not coming easy. It's still difficult 
to kind of grasp and understand the idea that a God of love, based on what you've done and, and where you've been and who you, whose family you come from or been a part of, you just feel like there's absolute, Roger, just, I just don't get it. Man, I'm telling you, it's true. I want you to hear this morning, maybe for the first time, that God is willingly ready to receive you as a son or a daughter into his family so that you can experience a life that you've never dreamed of living. So as we close in worship today, let's, let's really worship the Lord, right? Who cares what that person sitting next to you thinks about you? Let's sing. Let's get real. Let's open our hearts to the Father who loves all of us. Hey, thanks for joining us today. A special thanks to those who sow into this ministry. If you'd like to partner with us financially, text all one word, Matthew's Table, to 73256. That's Matthew's Table to 73256. It's because of you this ministry is possible. If you like what you've heard, click the subscribe button and share it with your friends. You never know what God can do through your one act of obedience. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. God bless.